0: If you don't make that great first connection, it can take up to 12 more positive interactions with that person to create that likability, And you may become best friends, you know, and then laugh about that that first time. But we don't always get those chances. A lot of the time, that's it. Because we react in 1 25th of a second before we even speak. So that's why husbands and wives can fight for up to two days without saying a word just because of the raise of an eyebrow at the wrong time Um, and some of you may be laughing hearing this but you know we know it's true and the same thing happens in the office you know a certain person comes in
1: it might rub up someone the wrong way. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns.
2: On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with an energetic, inspirational and empowering communications expert, author of the Million Dollar Handshake, Australian Institute of Management Award winner and someone who is fascinated with body language. She holds a master's in neurolinguistic programming and has diplomas in leadership management and business management. Our guest is an integral part of the Sunshine Coast Council Education Task Force, Salvation Army Maroochydore committee member fundraiser African volunteer for the Waituto Child Care Ministries and a formal global leader for Speakers Tribe Global. Her career started out in banking with Westpac Banking Corporation in Australia before running the Professionals Caloundra real estate business with her husband for 15 years. She became the business operations manager for Target Training a columnist for Business Matters, and is now the director of OZPAC Business Advantage and a speaker facilitator and coach at Speakers Institute. I'm honored and privileged to introduce you to the conscious leader who is passionate about making a difference, spending time on her farm, and walking along the beach on the Sunshine Coast when she isn't jet-setting around the planet as a global speaker. Catherine Malloy. Catherine, welcome to the show.
0: Wow, welcome, thank you.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you're a very proud Australian. What was life like for you during your formative years as a child?
0: I absolutely loved growing up here. Actually, I was left in Australia as a baby by a mum from another country. So uh, it took about two months before I was adopted out and um, I began my life here and I absolutely loved Australia. I had wonderful parents And we also lived in Brisbane, but had a farm on the Sunshine Coast. So every weekend we were surfing and swimming and, you know, playing with animals. And so I always felt like I had the best of both worlds, from the city to the beach.
2: It's a beautiful part of the world. You know, so for you, you've got, you know, new new parents. Uh, For you, you know, did you feel that real connection with them?
0: Well, I didn't know anything else. And yeah, my, my parents were fantastic. I remember from the age of to one of my first memories my mum um, apparently i I looked up i can still see myself with this chocolate bowl and i i said to her um what do you think my mum was like and um the mum that i was living with looked at me and she said she must have been beautiful to have a daughter like you so you know they always made us feel really special and i think that allowed allowed me you know to to challenge and to try different things and I sort of always thought of my parents as this big tree that, you know, you could climb out on those branches and every now and then you fall off and you can get back up on again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so did you have any big dreams when you were a teenager?
0: Yes, yeah, so I thought I might have become a teacher, but uh, when I was around the age of seven, dad was always reading and I used to always be on his lap and he'd have the newspaper and I'd see people's names in the paper and I'd say, you know, why are their names there? And he said, oh, they're fundraised, so they're just putting a thank you in. I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. So I um, would run these little puppet shows once a quarter. Mum would make fresh lemonade. Dad would make these donuts from this old donut, um, antique donut scoop that he had, and they were absolutely amazing. And we'd raise around $50, and all the kids in the neighborhood would come, and we'd have little gifts and put on this puppet show. And we did that for a couple of years, and then I put the money to the children's hospital. And um, it was really interesting because later in life, here I am now, the the puppeteer of body language, (laughs) and um, raising funds once again for children.
2: So you had those dreams of being a teacher. So how did you find yourself working at Westpac, uh, the banking corporation there, which you you led to a 15-year career in banking?
0: Yeah, like... um, you know, so many times people say, you know, accountants might be a little boring, but we all laugh at that. But that's where I began, too. You know, I love maths, love figures, and it wasn't until later in life, and my first car had this number plate OBE on it, that um, I found out who my father was, and he actually was on the board of the Children's Hospital. He um, was uh, chairman of a bank, and he was running a uh, financial Um, company as well as owned an accountancy practice so it was incredible to see that all these things that I've done in my life had had lined up without even knowing uh, who my natural parents were so yes I started doing my accountancy and and in the bank Uh, loved the challenge in the bank because every day you got to meet new people and um, I obviously you know my my cup is full when I'm meeting people and I'm um, helping serve them the best that I can so so that's how I ended up in the bank um, <laughs> through my accountancy and then you know wanting to work with money and figures. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you must have seen a lot of change uh, during your time in banking you know we had the recession in the early 90s, um, the commencement of cashless uh, transactions you know how important was customer service in the work that you did at Westpac?
0: Well, b- before Westpac, there was a bank CBA. It was the Commercial Bank of Australia, and it was the first bank of Australia. Make a bunyip happy today, put your money in a CBA. <laughs> That's where I began, and they were amazing. Customer service was was the most important thing. We merged with the Bank of New South Wales and became Westpac. And then I started to go around the branches and merge the branches together, and this is where um, I started to really talk to the customers. I started studying body language and I went to a lot of different third world countries traveling and then started to see that the way that they negotiated and most of it started with that handshake. So um, I bought some skills back home, next minute I was topping sales in Queensland and then I was topping sales in Australia. But I've got to tell you back in those days, a teller could be at the counter counting money for the customer and smoking at the same time. <laughs> there were no computers. Yeah. <laughs> there were no rules.
2: <laughs> you know, so now like you know, companies like automation, we've got offshore customer service, are we losing touch with that important connection with our customers?
0: Look, even um obviously with all the new IT and different things that, that come through for companies that streamline them and make them even better than what they were, we can lose touch However, we have so many more touch points. So we've just got to make sure that all those touch points are really serving the customer.
2: Yeah, no, that's really important. So you've gone from the banking sector and you decided to go into the entrepreneurial world with your husband into a real estate industry, um, setting up a professional uh, professionals in Caloundra. Wow.
0: Mm. Well, there was a, a bit of time in between that. So what happened was i met my husband and i said to him look i'm not going to have children because i loved my job i'd been brought into the training center i was training people in customer service product knowledge um and you know loved what i was doing and i said you might want to marry me i don't want to have children and he mm-hmm. said it's okay he said i can't have children he's seven years older than me so i thought okay then we had three in four years wow. um, <laughs> so obviously he could and i thought. Wow, there's so much more. I need to dig a lot deeper in this body language because how did I not pick this up? Um, so he's been one of my greatest teachers uh, to dig a lot deeper um, to find out the why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so real estate is, is a really fast-paced industry where closing deals is the name of the game. You know, In your mind, what is the real secret to closing that
0: sale? Mm, well, this is interesting because... Um, Once we had the children, I stayed at home. I ran a few businesses from home, selling children's clothes, toys, books, all sorts of different things that I knew we needed. And then my husband um, went into the real estate. He was also in finance. We met, he was AGC, I was Westpac. uh, And we merged and got married and they merged as well. Westpac (laughs) took, (laughs) took over AGC. So we were working together for a little bit there. He went into real estate and I was looking after the children. And then my husband fell ill around 2009. Mm. And um, he, I just woke up one day and he was on the bottom of the bed. And I'd never seen my husband in tears. And he just said, I don't think I can go back to work. Mm. And it was just one of those moments in your life that you know everything, everything the way that you know it right now will change. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew um, it was, something was going to happen and it was going to be totally different. So I went into the office, we had 18 staff and the first week I just wanted to find out about the systems, what was happening and then I started to listen and emails would come through and I'd see them come through and then the the agents would just send an email back. So a client might make an inquiry and then they'd send back about the property. And I noticed this for you know about a week and I'm thinking, why doesn't anyone ring? So I said, I got an agent to take me out to all the properties we had and then I rang the owners to see how they were going. And then when the inquiries came in, I would then pick up the phone and speak to that person. So within three weeks, on the third week, I took a new agent out with me because I hadn't had my license at that stage, but I had already started to do my training. And I took her out with me, and then on in that week I sold three properties on one day, five in the week, and it was a record for this twenty-year-old real estate. So that was pretty exciting because what I know is everything's changed. You know, systems. You know, the chairs we sit in, even the way that we buy and eat food nowadays has changed. But people haven't. The raw behavior styles of people haven't changed. So all that work that I did you know, 20 years earlier came straight back into practice because let's face it, you know, if you're in a people business and all of us are, we're dealing with those same raw behavior styles. And so um, very soon I started to understand how I could work with anyone in the world.
2: Yeah. Oh, I like it. That's a good, a good understanding. So from there you go on to target training. Mm-hmm. And so you've obviously, you talked a little bit about training people at Westpac and, mm-hmm. and being wanting to be a teacher when you're younger. And now you're in a place where you're educating people you know, in all sorts of different areas. So you know, what was the driver to move away from the business to go back into, yeah. into this kind of space?
0: Great question. So um, I was very excited about the real estate, like I was ready to go for it. And my husband said, I don't think I'll get better while we have the real estate. So he said we need to sell. Now of course this was 2009, the recession that we didn't have in Australia but everyone else did and of course we did too. So we had to wrap up our real estate, we had properties and um, we had to sell the business in this recession time. So we lost well over a million dollars. We were left with one house that was highly mortgaged and three children still at private school. I didn't want to change their lives. Mm and I wanted to keep our house, and somehow I wanted to support the family, you know, and keep growing. So I just dug deep, what do I do well? You know, I love customer service, I love working with people, and I'm a really, really um, great trainer, you know, and I, I strategically see where we need to go, and then I work backwards to make plans, you know, so I thought, great. Everyone needs customer service. So I started the training company and very quickly. I found out it wasn't customer service Everyone wanted even though they needed it (laughs) Um, It was the diploma of leadership management that most of our businesses were after for their people And I think that's fantastic because if everyone learns to self-lead within your business, it's so much easier for managers Etc. so I set my business up then, I bought a a franchise of Target Training, and very quickly, uh, within our first year, I signed over a million dollars in contracts to deliver this training over the next 18 months.
2: Brilliant, brilliant, oh, the million dollars is here. Yeah. So, how did the million dollar handshake, you know, the ultimate guide to revolutionizing how you connect and communicate in business and life, come about?
0: Mm, very good so when I was around 19 I touched on it before I was traveling and I started to I was in Bali one time and uh, I was watching the way that they negotiated sales now you know I wasn't so great when I first began I was okay but I sat back and started to watch and what I discovered was they shook hands with everyone when they first met them now some people were happy when they walked out and the seller was happy other times the buyer would walk out yelling or even in tears and sometimes the seller would be yelling at them and telling them do not come back to my store so I started to watch this and I started to play with my handshake and start to match the people I was meeting and then I was picking up really good deals but not only that sometimes maybe the best but at least, if not the best, a second best deal, but I created a win-win. And that meant that the next time I was in, I even got better service, everyone knew me, they'd introduce other people, and um, I started to understand how to negotiate, and how that sales really is a dance. Mm. Yeah.
2: Great observation. So, you know, we're talking about why are first impressions so important, and what can, people tell um, and learn from the way that someone shakes their hand?
0: Well, you've probably seen a couple of my demonstrations, (laughs) no doubt. But, you know, we all have uh, different ideas in our heads on what we should do. So most people go in doing what they think is right in a handshake, but not actually thinking about who they're meeting or the pressure of that other person's handshake. So to create a win-win means we create likability, And people like like. So if I go in with my really hard, firm handshake and pump it up and down on that person thinking, wow, that'll see I'm really confident. They might be a little bit more reserved. Their handshake might be a little softer because they don't like to hurt people. And so in actual fact, they're not going to be really comfortable around me. Mm. So I discover very quickly And, you know, show people, help people make those tiny tweaks that in that first seven seconds, they can nail a great first impression. You know, I've got a quote. What you believe doesn't make you a better person, the way you behave does. And I believe that body language um, is our behavior style that comes through, through our body.
2: Oh, I mean, I've been on a a few different um, courses and, and workshops with you where I've seen you you know, doing the handshake, I've been there with you before as well, and it's quite amazing how you can adjust so quickly. Once you once you understand what's going on, you can really feel that and make that adjustment um, at the right time. You know, is it, uh, it's, what's, the, what's the amount of time it takes for you to adjust a movement in the hand? A nanosecond. A nanosecond, <laughs> wow, so it's not very long. <laughs> You know, how costly can getting that first impression wrong be? You know, are there any examples you can share where you've just seen it and it's just been catastrophic to a person?
0: Look, it can take up to, if you don't make that great first connection, it can take up to 12 more positive interactions with that person to create that likability, And you may become best friends, you know, and then laugh about that, that first time. But we don't always get those chances. Yeah. A lot of the time, that's it.
2: A lot of people have experienced that when they're dating, you know, for yes. the first time and, or the second or third or the hundredth time.
0: Absolutely.
2: And uh, we're going to be a bit more quicker learners when it comes to <laughs> that one. So body language speaks loudly. You know, why is nonverbal communication more important than verbal communication?
0: Because we react in 1 of a second before we even speak. So that's why husbands and wives can fight for up to two days without saying a word, <laughs> just because of the raise of an eyebrow at the wrong time. Um, and some of you may be laughing hearing this, but, you know, we know it's true. And the same thing happens in the office. You know, a certain person comes in, it might rub up someone the wrong way, and the next minute you can, you can almost cut the air with a knife because everything sort of stops and goes silent. Um, and, you know, our body language is really, really important because we do miscommunication. And um, the way we do this is by creating a movement. So my husband and I generally drive to a lot of my events or he picks me up from the airport when I'm traveling internationally and you know we love getting in the car and chatting and turning on the radio and singing but you know sometimes I have to work and this one day he was driving me to Brisbane for a conference and I was sitting back on my phone doing emails And I noticed, you know, we all have peripheral vision. I noticed his head turning and there was a lane on my other side. So I just quickly leaned back while I was doing my email so he could see the road and change lanes. But you know, within that split second, I could feel then this heat coming down my arm and I turned around and looked at him and I said, what's wrong? And he said, he looked at me and he said, you don't need to tense up when when I'm driving. There's nothing wrong with my driving. (laughs) Now, you know, we probably all experienced this. And maybe I've tensed up at times when he's gone up the gutters and all those things. But this time, he wasn't doing anything wrong and he had the right to yell at me. And I just looked at him and said, look, I'm sorry. I just leant back because I thought you wanted to change lanes. <laughs> and so then my husband said to me, he looked at me and just went, sorry. But you know what? I realized this was my fault. I leaned back because I made a story out that he needed to change lanes. Now maybe he was looking over, maybe he was going to ask me a question, maybe he was going to turn the radio on, or perhaps turn the air conditioning up. But I made up the story, good intention, leant back so he could see. He, he then reacted with his story, she thinks I'm a bad driver, and she's tensing up. <laughs> so you see how quickly, and if I didn't understand my own domino effect. I could have fought with him then for yelling at me for no reason. The next minute this argument can escalate. Mm. So we have to really understand our domino effect in each conversation. And when we do do a movement with our body language, we need to explain what that story is at that time. So if I leaned back and said, oh, do you need need to see the road? That would have solved everything. Mm. But I didn't. I just leaned back with my story. He needed to change lanes.
2: So we can't always just have non-verbal communication. We do need to connect it with the. We have to
0: connect it. And I believe this is why, after all these years, communication is still the number one biggest problem on the planet. And even in Australia alone, we have just under half of marriages end in divorce. Nine hundred and fifty divorces a week, right? And you know, it's and what are they? Ninety-eight percent is due to miscommunication. You know, they don't communicate well anymore
2: incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So, you know, we've met through Speakers Institute. What was it like for you when you first stood on a stage present as a speaker?
0: Oh, wow. So, I'll just go back to, so I started my training company once we saw that business, and then I ran it from 2010 to maybe 2014, and um, I was invited on the education task force, and then I went over to China, and I spoke on a stage in front of, uh, you know, 400 people, and won over the leaders there who invited me back and wanted me to speak to the foreign ministers, translators, association, etc. So then I decided, look, I always thought you could only get a really great message to 20 people at a time as a trainer so you could really work with them. But then I discovered we can get our messages out to as many people as we want. And we don't need to limit ourselves. So after that experience, I thought, right, what can I do? Is there anything I can do better? Like, I don't know how good I am at this, you know, but I love it. Yep. And it was the way I wanted to go. So I went to a one day event with Speakers Institute and decided, you know, this is, this is what I'd love to do. I'd love to hone my skills and craft and be, become the best uh, motivational and inspirational speaker that I could be so that we can get these skills across in communication and, and save lives. Because the way people communicate to themselves and to others, their customers, their teams, you know, people are losing their businesses. Mm. People are losing their families through the way they communicate. So I'm really excited to be able to share this message around the world.
2: Yeah, lovely. And you've got a beautiful message. You know, so a lot of people have fear when it comes to standing up on stage. they happily get in a car and drive, which can be quite dangerous. I mean, standing on stage, there's no real dangers to you unless you fall off it. Um, and but people have built up this big fear, you know. So for you, was it? Um, were you? A f- did you have fears of how do I look, or um, you know, do people like what I'm saying? Um, do I know where to stand? Like, did, mm. you know, what, what sort of kind of stood out for you?
0: I think I was so excited about my content and about getting the message out that. I remember when I first walked into my, my very first conference that was put on, put on for me to deliver, and I was walking down, I was just bouncing out of my skin. I was so excited. Now, I know that's not the experience for a lot of people. Hmm. And having said that, after that, I became more, more nervous once I started to learn the skills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what you don't know, you don't know. Um, made me perhaps become a little bit more, anxious at times, but what I realize is the only times you start to worry is when it's about you. Yeah. If you um, think you're not good enough, if you think uh, your hair's not right, my hair's never right so I just do it anyway, <laughs> um, if, if you, the minute that you put the focus on you and not your audience, I think this is when it can make you become a little bit more nervous.
2: Yeah, speaking is all about the audience, that's for sure. Uh, What are the most common mistakes you see from people when they get up on stage that first time? Uh,
0: Just the way even that they walk up. So you know you need to walk with that energy, you know, they're here to see you. Some people come on stage, they walk over, their shoulders are slumped, they breathe out and then they start, (laughs) you know, make that great first impact and on stage you have up to 15 seconds to capture your audience before they're going to go back to their phones. So let's make that great first impression, I think, uh, once people can nail that. Have a laugh, um, let your audience relax, have a laugh, they'll think that you are now the master and once you've laughed too, you've relaxed. Yeah. The stage can actually be your fun spot. Yeah, It's where I have the most fun.
2: <laughs> you do, you do and you have make some good laughs as well. So what motivates you to continuously get up on stage, entertain, perform, educate and inspire people from all around the world nearly every single day?
0: Uh, People. The reason I'm doing this is for people. I, I really, truly want people to have a great experience and I know when you have a really good learning experience, you are more likely to implement the tools. And one of my great skills is taking a complex idea and making it really simple. I've seen some people in training and facilitation and speaking get a really simple idea and make it hugely complex and then no one walks away and implements it. So I really think that the skill is in creating a tool that people can use that can change their lives immediately for the better.
2: Yeah, It's, it's one of the hardest things in the world to, to grasp is how to make something simple. It's very easy to make things complex, but to make it simple is one of the toughest things in the world. I know that firsthand at times. Uh, so, for, you have a new book launching soon called "The Conscious Leader." You know what is conscious leading, and what can we expect from you know your latest book?
0: So, the Conscious Leader, I'm just absolutely so excited about it. And as you know, leadership and um, management was the first area i began my training company in and you know i wrote a unit for the diploma of management and leadership um, in emotional intelligence and i believe it's it's the criteria for us in self-leading we need to have these skills first before we can lead others but being starting to be really conscious of our domino effect conscious of our leadership style and all the other leadership styles and what tools that you would love to grab from these to add to yours. Mm. Just because this is how you're leading now doesn't mean it's how you need to lead tomorrow or the next day. And being that conscious leader, also looking at the legacy. You know, the micro and macro legacy that you might love to leave. Like the micro is in the family when you're building those little things that your children wanna come back for when they're 30 and what they wanna teach their children and all these different things, having a look at our values, our purpose. Uh, Conscious leading, for instance, you know, I started with the straws, the straws took off everywhere. Now I'm with the hotels with these little bottles everywhere. Why can't we have refillable conditioners, refillable shampoos? These little bottles they give us, they have these little plastic metal Mm -hmm. tops, where do you think they go? I believe they go down the drains, into our fish, into our birds and Conscious leading is really about all of this. Now, it can sound very tiring, but the thing is once we start to implement this and really start to become passionate and purposeful, that you're wanting to lead yourself. And we're on this planet just this one time, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah? We only die, die once, but we get to live each day. And I think the more that we understand our purpose and and our values and living towards them and conscious about the people we're meeting and conscious about our planet and our animals Uh, each and every one of us can make a difference and so i'm so excited because the book is lead a life worth living and so we've got stories from amazing leaders we have stories from people in their 90s you know how they led what what they could have done better or would they have changed anything so it's it's just so exciting, and I can hardly wait to get it out.
2: So talking about being conscious in your own leadership, what what is the probably the biggest change you've made in your leadership, you know, over your career?
0: So when I uh, when I began my training company, we quickly grew to eighteen staff and thirty six trainers around Australia. It seems like 18's the number for us. We had eighteen <laughs> in real estate, but we had uh, thirty six contract trainers. Um, You know my style uh, was very much similar to Richard Branson's but then I realized I needed to be really compliant for the government as well so depending on how much money you're making you can bring in other people to do this but I had to create the systems and processes for our teams to follow and to bring them in as well and so you know becoming a conscious leader then start made me start to understand it, you know, having fun and bringing everyone into the meetings wasn't suited to all my staff. So then I really had to dig deep and become more conscious of the person I'm speaking to. Not everyone loves the carrots and the sticks. You know, here's the carrot. If we do this, we get this. That doesn't always work. So understanding my people and understanding myself really started to make me become much more conscious and a much better leader.
2: So being conscious as a leader of people, you know, does it also apply directly to yourself, you are know, leading yourself, being conscious of that?
0: Oh, you have to start with yourself. And that's exactly where we start in the book, actually, the first chapter, leading yourself. And, um, you know, leadership really is a conscious decision every day that you need to make. You need to make that decision to consciously lead because we all lead ourselves each day. Yeah. We just mightn't lead ourselves well.
2: Yeah. For sure, there's no point leading up the garden path if it's not <laughs> not where the end point is. You know, what shifts are we seeing in the next generation of leaders that will help them be, become more high performing than leaders of the past?
0: You know, great question. And working with the young people, they are so involved in technology today, but at all different levels. I'll speak to quite a few and they can't even get a PowerPoint up, but they'll, you know, know how to, Uh, text a message in one second perhaps Uh, so they all have various skills in this area and what they are what they are lacking is paying it forward thinking of that next person Mm. they've been very um, they've been taught to really focus on themselves and what's happening in their world and so you know obviously and depending on their behavior style there, there would be 40% that are looking at their what can we do, how can we make this better? And then we'll have 40% that are really focusing on themselves, feeling a little bit depressed, things aren't working out too well, um, it's all about me and everyone is doing things to cause problems for me, instead of looking at uh, what can I do for someone else. So yeah. usually when we get to work with these, these students, we start to pull out their values and they start to create their purpose and then their passion for what it is they want to do in the world.
2: Yeah. So obviously, conscious leaderships around, you know, little steps at a time. Now, for you, you know, what is probably the the proudest moment you can, if you look back on your career? So, what's the proudest moment when you think about conscious leadership um, on a more of a global scale?
0: Oh, it would have to be when I started my business back in two thousand and ten. I said to my husband, "Look, ten percent is going to charity." And he said to me, you know, well, we can't do that. We've lost all this. And I said, well, I just needed something a little bit bigger than just having to get our money back.
2: A greater purpose. And
0: you know, 10% isn't, isn't huge, but once we started to <laughs> turn over big dollars, it, it is huge and it can make a really big difference. And I started working with children in Mototo because I was asked to come on a Shine program to help girls that have been from broken homes, bullied, um, mm. you know, divorces, different things. So uh, from those skills, we started working in in Africa, in Uganda, and bringing that that program to the girls. You know, for value and worth, and finally finished writing it this year. It'll be implemented by Watoto leaders in Africa um, at the end of this year in November when we go back over. So very very excited. So I think um, being able to bring those skills to to these women that are dying from cervical cancer, AIDS, and to add value and worth so that they don't take that piece of bread for for that, you know, rag of clothes and things like that. So giving them some skills, some land, um, sewing machines that they can sew clothes and their children can get educated. I think that's been, you know, for me, education is a big change.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think by the third generation, with us um, educating the teenage boys and girls, that's when we might start to see a difference in in what's happening there. Um, But also, you know, when I was in Mumbai last time I was there, I I wore this mask from uh, Singapore to see what the pollution was like. Within two hours, the mask had changed to the nastiest color. So knowing people are really um, struggling and, and living in some of these cities, Uh, heavily polluted but I walked to to the beach and the beach was heavily polluted Mm. by people just rubbish everywhere and people started to come up and ask me for a photo so I said I don't mind that at all but we need to get a bag and pick up some rubbish so if you want a photo I will do that but you need to pick up some rubbish right so soon we had all these people on the beach picking up rubbish and that is conscious leading because so many people are used to throwing something down and mm. having somebody else come and pick it up. But unfortunately, the things are getting thrown into the ocean. You can see the plastics floating out to the sea and you know that you're killing sea life. You know you're killing bird life. So um, you know, having this whole beach become aware and then start posting it. You could see it coming up in the feeds on Facebook. Uh, it, you know, it was wonderful just to be able to bring that consciousness and that very simple moment um, to a whole beach full of people.
2: You can really see that you have a, a real passion for paying it forward. And so you're, you know, you're being on stage, you know, facilitating training, coaching, and it requires a lot of energy and focus. So how do you manage keeping your energy level high on a consistent basis?
0: Now, great question. I get asked this a little bit. They go, how do you keep going? You know, one (laughs) time I flew 36 hours, uh, jumped on stage for a day. Uh, But, um, you know, I think it's the body language and also I'm living, doing what it is that I want to be doing in the world. And I believe that creates that abundance of energy for you to keep going because you're doing what you want to do. And when I do get out of the cities, we recently bought 17 acres. We've got some rescue animals out there, calves and sheep and different things like that. And so, you know, I get home, I put my feet in the grass. I mow, I plant, and you know, we need to get back to those those basic things as well as human beings. If we are in apartments, you know, get out into that country, get your feet into the grass, get your hands into the land. Mm-hmm.
2: Being with nature is so powerful. Mm. So how do you free your mind so that when you get up on stage, you're in the zone and can enter a state of flow?
0: Usually the night before any events, I'm just focused on what I'm delivering tomorrow. And then I visualize how it's going to end and how the people will feel. And so the next, you know, I prepare everything the night before, clothes, everything you possibly need. It's ready. It's ready to go. I can get up. Put that on the morning, turn up, and be the best possible me for for the people when I get there.
2: And what's the biggest lesson you've learnt um, as a speaker, coach, facilitator? Where you know you're giving so much passion to people. What's the biggest lesson you've learned along along the way?
0: Uh, the more you give, the more you receive.
2: Yeah.
0: So you can't give without receiving, and um, you know, as a learner, every person I meet, I learn something from as well which means I get to share that around the world. So I just think the, the biggest lesson is is um, you know, to give yeah. and to give unconditionally. Don't ever expect anything, but it's going to happen for you anyway.
2: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time?
0: Okay, so this is the first time I've ever cl- climbed a mountain. I was in Xi'an, and um, I'd just been working with the clients, and I took a day off, and I found that the mountain—I think it's—it's it's called like Mount Kui that you could—that you can get delivered to and climb out to the north point. So, you know, it was probably a couple of hours, but I ended up on this wrong wrong trip and so they picked me up i had a little backpack a bottle of water an apple and some some money and i got dropped at the bottom of the mountain and they said they'll see me in eight hours <laughs> and <laughs> i remember just looking at this mountain going oh my goodness what am i going to do and have these little chiseled steps you know in the rocks on the side and i remember this little bit of water coming out of my eye and, um, <laughs> I'm like what am I gonna do and then I looked at it and I thought well you know what this is like business right you just take one step at a time and you yep. see where you go so I thought okay I'll just start and see what happens <laughs> and I actually got to the top of this this mountain and I'll never f- forget how exhilarated I felt so I think this is the first time um, in my life that I had that feeling of accomplishing something that I really didn't think I would would be ever able to do. So, um, yeah, that's the first time I've climbed a 3,000-foot mountain. And having said that, I probably won't do it again now. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a great experience.
2: (laughs) What is the one question that you would love to solve?
0: The one, the one thing that I would love to solve um, would be the the human ego. <laughs> you know, to get a, a real handle on, we've got all these skills, we have all this knowledge, and yet we still have so much problem with communication. And I would just love to to see people communicating well to themselves. You know. For me, love was this really big thing. So I think when I die, you know, it was, it'll be, you know, did I love enough? Was I loved enough? I think love's really important. Mm. But the interesting thing this year, I think is really important, is being kind. Because I've seen people who love each other and they're really not kind. Mm. I would love um, to solve the ego issue so that everyone can be kind to each other.
2: Uh, very important. My ego was kicking in last night when we were talking about speaking. (laughs) Had to back off.
0: (laughs) Yes, we don't always want feedback.
2: (laughs) Well we do, but we just, we want to put our own version of it first. What is your definition of an extraordinary life?
0: An extraordinary life is leading a life worth living. It's a life that you love and you are making a difference for yourself and for other people in it.
2: Yeah, I like that. Very, very good. So, you've given all, you, you've talked about some amazing things. You, you're incredibly um, talented when it comes to communication and body language. How can people learn more about what you do and what would be the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Oh, fabulous. Look, jump on the website www.catherinemalloy.com.au. And uh, you know, join in. We send out monthly tips. We also uh, have access, some free access to some of our online content there. And I know it'll make a difference. And then of course, come and visit us when we are in your country and we are speaking.
2: Yeah, we'll put them. On, we'll put those links in the show notes, um, as well as you know, you can check out the Million Dollar Handshake book and coming soon, the Conscious Leader, which I'm really excited to read. Catherine it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today as always I really enjoy our conversations Uh, to listen to your story you know if you you know from being left by your original parents at a very young age you You didn't let that adversity Sort of direct you in any way you just went on with life and found the, the passion that you was really connected to you around body language and how you can help other people To see how you took every opportunity when it came to banking to go, okay, how can I help other people? Not just our customers, but how can I train the people within here so that they can enjoy the work that they do and be more helpful and serve people more effectively. To then becoming a mum when you weren't expecting to, uh, to three beautiful children, and being able to lead through that process and, and take that ownership when your husband found himself at a really challenging spot be able to come in understand how to you know excite the business and make it work and then you know it wasn't gonna work for your husband to go you know what let's make a change here even if it hits us financially and hurts us a lot but for the importance of being kind and love for your family you chose to take a different path and rekindle with your teaching what you wanted to be when you were younger a teacher sort of bring that all together and to see how you have really shone over the last decade and you know, I really appreciate the times that I get to spend with you and learn a lot and have some great conversations and just feed off your energy and enthusiasm and, and beautiful soul. Uh, we look forward to seeing the Conscious Leader come out and I can see it in you. You're always thinking how can you help other people and not just the people beside you but help people in the, around the world and not just for now but 50 years, 100 years, 200 years later because that's our legacy it's not what we do in this world it's the mark we leave when we um, when we go so thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure as always um, and all the best for the future with conscious leader
0: massive thank you and a big thank you to all your listeners keep leading well
2: on this week's active ceo performance tip we're talking about recover with purpose It's important as a leader that you recover with purpose and have a clear state of mind. Sleep deprivation and chronic tiredness results in poor performance and productivity, has negative impacts on your health, disrupt workplaces, and leads to higher levels of stress, anxiety, and frustration. You can improve your ability to recover with purpose by sleeping seven to nine hours per night, creating a digital sunrise, And sunset sleeping in a quiet cool clean and dark bedroom being exposed to nature and fresh air taking cold showers when you wake up and before you go to sleep avoiding caffeinated drinks after 2 p.m. and also alcohol free your mind with meditation mindfulness and breathing techniques eat well and hydrate regularly and importantly exercise daily recovery won't take care of itself. You have to recover with purpose. Thank you for listening to a brilliant conversation with Catherine Malloy, the conscious leader on episode 84 of the active CEO podcast. Have you ever overdone it in your life for all the right reasons? It is so easy to get caught up in the daily grind of work, your passion to make a difference and trying to please other people. As a CEO, it is cr- so crucial that you proactively schedule your rest and recovery. Otherwise you will see a gradual decline in your energy and performance. Active CEO coaching provides the support you require to ensure you proactively implement rest so you can recover with purpose. If you're finding it difficult to look after yourself and recover with purpose, then contact me at Craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of www.nrg2perform.com website. And I'll be able to provide you the tools you need to be a high performing leader. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong.
1: Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in nrg to perform Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the nrg to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.